Let us begin, which will probably throw you off just a little bit up there, with uh, John 17, verse 16. Chapter 17, verse 16. Oh, does this mean I'm going to have to use my Bible? (laughs) Jesus praying, speaking to his Father God. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We, they are in this world, but not of this world. Let's just say together, we're in this world but we're not of this world. Let's say that again. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. I I was listening to a message that T.D. Jakes was, was preaching the other day, and he was describing this. Uh, the situation, us being in the world but not of the world. He said, if you take uh, a pot and fill that pot full of water, stick it on the stove and, and, and start to boil it, and then just put a bottle of Coca-Cola in that. He said, that's kind of like us. We're in the world but not of the world, but the world is having an effect on us. And he said, you let that boil long enough. He said, that Coke is going to explode. <clears throat> that bottle's going to explode. And then the Coke's going to end up all over in the water, so it's going to end up becoming mixed together. It's like, that could be a, a, a positive thing, or that could be a really negative thing. It's like, if we are the ones that's changing the atmosphere, and that Coke changes the water, that's awesome, Right? That's a good thing because it's, it, it's, we have been the, the messengers of change when, when that happens. But so oftentimes we're in this world but not of this world. But we definitely need to be paying attention to our surroundings so that it doesn't end up changing us. Everybody with me? We're in some really, really unique times in this world right now. It's like, wow. So, so, so different. And, and we are called to be the agents of change that can stand and make a difference. Let's uh, look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What's the first part, the important part? Don't conform to the standards, to the principles, to what we see in the world around us. Don't be conformed to the standards and the principles of the world but by the renewing of our mind 
We're being transformed. Everybody with me? All right. We're going to go uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Let's skip through some scriptures, and then I just want to talk. Paul says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. What does that mean? Bring my body into subjection. It's like, well, when we ask Jesus to come into our heart and we ask Jesus to come into our lives and, and we're led by Holy Spirit, it's like the Scriptures, this good book right here, is full of the Word of God saying, if you, then I. You know what I'm talking about? Man, it's a, it's a partnership and it's something that, I think, perseverance, when we just think of, of perseverance, the things that are required of us to end up living that holy, blameless life before God the Father and Jesus Christ himself. If we're going to live a holy, blameless life, we're going to be bringing our body into subjection because it's through our body, all of the senses of our body, that we bring things into both our soul and our spirit. Right? Does anybody agree with me yet? Yes. Oh, oh, good. All right. So it really is one of the fruits of the spirit, when we study the fruits of the spirit, is self-control, which is bringing our body into subjection. Right? Okay, so we do have something that is our part to accomplish as we co-labor with Jesus Christ, and that's doing our part, bringing things in our body into subjection. Subjection to what? Subjection to Holy Spirit, subjection to the will of God, that as we're offering... Offering our bodies as a living sacrifice brought in subjection to the will and word of God, we are becoming that perfect sacrifice. Does that make sense? Yeah, so we do have a part. We don't just sit at the feet of Jesus and love on him. We sit at the feet of Jesus and we love on him and we receive his love and then we go and do. But it's not always about going and doing. Paul makes it really clear. If I'm going to go out and preach to people, I have to end up having things in alignment in my own life, which is up to me. Okay? Bringing our body into subjection. Like, I want to uh, go to Ephesians, fifth chapter of Ephesians, verse 26. <clears throat> now, Paul's talking about, you know, that we, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and was willing to, you know, give his life for her. 
But he, oh, this is the scripture that's the standout scripture to me that he, that he, Jesus, might, sanct, uh, might sanctify and cleanse her. He meaning Jesus when he's talking about the church. He meaning us when he's talking about a husband. Husbands, love your wife. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. The washing of water by the word. So, how really, really, really important is it that we know the word? That we're bringing things in our body, our mind, taking captive. We're going to talk about taking, taking thoughts captive. That, but that we have our mind renewed. That we have our mind washed that we are being cleansed through the water of the Word. It's making sense. Everybody agree? Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. It's like, oh, 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 oh. We need to be washed, have an understanding that comes from the Word. So we need to know the Word. And then we need to take captive any of the thoughts. I, I, the 11th chapter of Luke is someplace that I was going to go. We're, we're going to not, not go there this morning for, because of the essence of time, what we have here. But... Is he's referring to the eye, our eye. You know, the, the, the eye is the lamp of the body, the lamp of the soul, our eyes. And, and when I think of this, our senses and our soulish realm and overcoming, bringing things into subjection, there are two very, very, very important parts, and that's what we see and what we hear. Our eyes and our ears, what we see and what we hear. I was sitting this morning thinking, pondering, going through scriptures, and, I, and I, as I was sitting, I'm going, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a father up above looking down in tender love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Anybody sing that when they were a kid? Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. There's a father up above looking down with tender love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. That was my tryout for the worship team. It's like, uh. Now, see, we're, we're, we're feeding our soul through the things that we take in, mainly, primarily, the things that we see, the things that we hear. And these little ones that were just up here, man, between the ages of zero and three and four years old, it is what they see, what they hear, what they see, what they hear. 
We need to really be awake in how we live our lives and how and in understanding what they're seeing and what they're hearing because they are taking it in and it is becoming a part of their soul, a part of their understanding, a part of their belief system. So how incredibly important is it that we are living our lives in such a manner that we're bringing into subjection the things, the lusts, the desires of our body that we see through our eyes, that we hear through our ears. It's really important. Because not only are we living our lives before our children and our grandchildren, but we're living our lives before a lot of people. People are always watching us. And paying attention to everything that we, that we do. And if we're going to be ambassadors of reconciliation, we really need to be paying attention to what we do, to what we say, to what we watch, to what we listen to. You know, I've got some more scriptures that uh, we're not going to go to right now, though. Uh, talking about uh, the example that we become... The things that we listen to, the things that come out of our mouth, the things that we say, and the things that we watch. Um, and it says in one of the scriptures in Ephesians, we're not going to dig for this, but it's like, let no coarse jesting, basically no rough jokes. No rough jokes come out of your mouth. Well, the words that come out of your mouth, you know, let's don't be telling dirty jokes or, or listening to... Uh, to dirty jokes, or, or even uh, when you start talking about somebody. What's the word for when you, when you start? Yes, gossip, gossip, gossip. We have to be careful what is coming out of our mouth because people are listening to that, and it's affecting people. The words that come out of our mouth are affecting people because they're hearing it. They're watching what we do. They're listening to what we say. So we've got to be cautious of that. And one of the things, when, when, when you stand in a group of people, it's like, and this is something that particularly men are guilty of, and I remember in the past being, you know, standing and not wanting to be the, so much the odd man out. You stand there and listen to something where an off-color story is being told or an off-color joke, and, and, and they look right at you, as they tell, looking for your response, and, and, and you give a, Kind of a courtesy. <laughs> I hate that, but it's like, you know, what we have just done is put an approval stamp on something that we just heard rather than. Billy Graham says, when a brave man takes a stand, it often stiffens the spine of others. It's like, man, when we end up being the one to end up taking that stand and say, you know, I, I don't appreciate that. I, I'm out. It makes it creates an awkward situation where sometimes we don't want to offend somebody, so we're so careful to you know to listen to something that we wouldn't listen to. And, and by listening, it's almost like we're saying, you know, I approve. I approve without taking a stand. Sure, it's quiet in here. Does anybody agree? How about at least one amen? No, oh, thank you, thank you. So, <clears throat> just a silent smile or, or something, basically is saying, yes, <laughs> that is funny, I agree with you. It's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't. And I, I, I take a stand because my kid or somebody else is watching with 
there. You're all with me. Is everybody convicted? <laughs> no. Okay. Here's, I want to go back to the, the word. Uh, let's go John 1, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld its glory, the glory as of one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. I was watching Benny Hinn, somebody that 10 or 15 years ago, so I was like, ah, eh, eh, oh. I didn't approve. I listened to, the, to, the, to so many of the, of the things, of the negative things that were being spoken and some of the things that, that, that he had done and been a part of. It's like, ah, 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 ah. But I now listen to a transformed Benny Hinn. I read his book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, and I'm a Benny Hinn fan now. The guy's amazing in some of his teaching. I mean, I don't see very much, but, you know, occasionally. And, and uh, I was just listening to him, and I was, like, convicted by what he was saying. We're talking about a gentleman, who, a man of God, who has been, done anything, everything, made massive fortune... Through his ministry, I mean, he was blessed all the way around. Um, and has come to a point, he said, seven years ago, I turned off my TV, I canceled, canceled, canceled. He said, in the last seven years, I spend my time in the Bible. He said, I read it, either I go through it from page 1 to page 1400, in my Bible, 1406, uh, I read it from page one all the way through, and then I just go back and start over. He said, every, I read it three times a year, once every four months, or four times a year, once every three months. I'm not exactly sure which, but I was thinking, wow. If somebody that's been, that's done, that's sat under Catherine Kuhlman, that's set, I mean, uh, personal friends, buddies with John Arnett, uh, John and Carol Arnett, just like, Oh my goodness, somebody that has been so much and has been so deeply entrenched in, in ministry and in, in healings and in crazy thousands and thousands and thousands of people that he's ministered to, preached to, has come to a place and a point that has humbled himself to saying, you know what, I need the truth, I need the word, I need to have the word in me. And, and then I, after watching that him for a short time, I dug back into the to the Word, and that's where I came up with, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I think, you know what, when we have so taken the Word of God, not only are we experiencing His presence, like uh, love VSSM, that culture-shifting presence and power of God, it's not just a gospel of words, but a gospel of power. We can walk in power and authority and prophetic words and, and operate in all of the gifts, and I, I love it, I love it. But we cannot forget the value and power of the Word of God. Amen. That we are to worship Him, believers are to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And where does the truth come from? The Word. The Word. And I, this, early this morning, that it just... It came to me, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as we have this 
battle in our own flesh, bringing our flesh into subjection. I was thinking, oh my goodness, look at that scripture right there that we just read. The Word became flesh. When we have so ingrained ourselves in the Word, and the Word has become ingrained in us, the Word becomes flesh because we walk it out. Isn't that awesome? That's a revelation to me. I just found that this morning. It's like, you know what? As we receive, dig into, and read it over and over again, it becomes part of us. This Word begins to operate in this flesh. This flesh conforms to this Word. We are then walking in the glory that it is talking about. His glory is seen through us, but it's His glory, our obedience, as we have absorbed His Word and the Word becomes flesh and walks among the people. That's... Yeah, that would be a... Like one of those stand back and say, wow, that's a good word. It's like, yes, thank you. Kind of a Bill Johnson thing there. Like, and the Word became flesh. You know, we can, through absorption of that Word. It's like, ah, love that, love that. Um, skipping down to 1 Corinthians 15.33 Paul says, you know, brethren, do not be deceived. Bad company, evil company, corrupts good character, corrupts good habits. Even like I was talking about the coarse jesting, rough jokes, you know, uh, stories that don't necessarily need to be told and things that don't need to be shared. It's like, when we spend too much time, like the Coke sitting in the, in the, in the bottle of, or in the, in the pot of water that's boiling there, you know, we have to be very, very cautious. I preached a message on this, I think it was about like five years ago, about our pit crew. Carefully selecting your pit crew for this, the big race, the race that we run as life. As we go through life, who the people in our pit crew that are going to be checking our oil, changing our tires, you know, making us ready for the next lap or laps in the race. How critically important it is that we have the right pit crew. It's like I've said so many times to the young people, you know what, show me your three closest friends and let me just go ahead and predict your future, your spiritual future, even your, your growth, your financial future. Who you surround yourself with is a big indicator of what's coming in your life. Bad company corrupts good character. So we carefully choose who's speaking into our lives. Okay, the last... <laughs> hey, man, man, good job, Lynn. You came right in under that 30-minute mark. We're going to be done by noon. It's like... <clears throat> that was easier when I was younger. 1 Corinthians 4th chapter, verses 15 and 16. For though 
you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. It's one of the things that we've been talking about. I've had a, a, few, a few meetings about this. Think, you know, there's three things, two big things that at Valley Church to equip and empower you to fulfill your purpose in Christ is our mission statement, but the things that we have as our core beliefs that we put great, great value in, number one is that we're loving, that the love of Christ is expressed through us, that we love one another, and that we love the people that come in. So that when people come to Valley Church, they feel loved and accepted. That's one of our big, big values right there, a core value. Number two, which is equal, is that we do all that we can to continue to foster an environment where the presence of God is welcome and dwells. It's like Holy Spirit. So most of the time when people come and, and they say, man, we, we, we really felt the love, we felt the love of the people and the presence of God. Holy Spirit is alive and well and moving. Welcome at Valley Church. So I think that those are critically important in our values, even as we grow, as other ministries are, are birthed. We do not forget that we are expressing and experiencing and people see, notice, and feel the love that we have one for another. You'll know that they're my disciples by the love they have one for another. Our values, incredible values. Now, the 16th verse, 4.16. Paul just, he, he's just, let's back up to 15. I want to read that again. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. I have begotten you through the gospel. That means fathering somebody, means mentoring somebody, discipling somebody, walking with them. We were having a meeting the other day, and I said, you know, disciple, uh, evangelism is very, it's critically important. We need to bring, we need to evangelize, we need to bring the lost in. But going out and preaching the gospel to someone, your two-minute message, the five-minute message, that's the easy part. The fathering, discipling, walking through the mud, the blood, the tears, the guck with people, that's the hard part. That's where we need the fathers, disciplers, fathers and mothers, not just fathers, fathers and mothers representing family to walk through with the people. Now, Paul says, therefore, it's like we're bringing people through Christ. I, I, I am fathering you through Christ, me in Christ, Christ in me. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. I really need probably about 10 more minutes. You're okay if we go a little bit, a little bit long. Paul saying, therefore, I'm fathering. Therefore, imitate me. I, that has never really stood out to me like it did like early this morning. It's like, whew. Boy, that, uh, that is a very humbling, I want to father you, I want to preach to you, I, I, I want to, to teach you, I want to disciple you, but I have to be living my life in such a manner that 
I check myself and say, yes, follow me. Imitate me. Do what I do. It's like, oh, wow. I received a phone call. It's probably been about a year ago, and I want to just take a few minutes on this one. And a lady, she's getting close to probably about three years younger than me and, and having some family issues, and she's called and said, I need some advice, and it's not somebody that's a part of this church, not now anyway. And uh, she, she said, you know, is there not a point, I'm 68 or 69 years old, is there not a point that I can be living my life for myself? And it's like, okay, I'm listening. It's like, well, what, what, what do you mean? She says, well, you know, my kids think this, my kids expect this, you know, my, you know, what, there's these expectations. She says, you know, I'm, I'm just tired of that. I want to live my life for myself. I'm ready to retire, and I, I just want to, want to go have fun. She says, is there anything wrong with that? And I said to her, she says, what, what do you think? And I said, well... You know, I'm not responsible for my kids anymore. They're up, they're out of their house. You know, some of them have got kids and da da da. And I said, well, for me, I said, I believe that I'm living my life for my children's children, for their children. So for my grandchildren's children is what I'm living my life for. It's like, I'm looking at eternity. I'm living for eternity. Living as if today could be my last day. I'm living for today with eternity in sight. Believing that I'm living my life for eternity. But not just for my eternity, but that I am creating and leaving a legacy that my grandchildren's children will look at and go, that's what I want. That, that, that's what I want. This is what Papa did. So, is there a time in your life that you're ready to live your life for yourself? I'll say, hell no. <laughs> hell knows, so hell no. That's not what we're living for. I'm living for eternity, for my children's children's children, to leave a legacy that they can look at, that they can see, and say, hey, if, if Papa did it, we can do it. That's what I want. That's how I want to live my life. Okay. Uh, let's stand. <clears throat> Not only um, have I uh, watched Benny Hinn, T.D. Jakes, uh, also John Maxwell. How many John Maxwell fans do we have in here? It's like when you, if ultimate leadership, guys, incredible, uh, teaching leadership, leadership skills, leadership. And, and 
there's one thing that he said in this, in this lesson. that I, I followed him for a couple of years in the late 90s. Uh, I was a big John Maxwell. I want to learn how to be a leader. I want to, and he called it the, the principle of five, I think, that I, that where I just watched. And he said, if you. You know, when there's a desire of your heart, when there's a goal that you set for yourself... You see it's burden, you have a, a burden for something, you get a vision for something, then it requires the action. Some training and some, some, some action, you know. Man, this is a great training manual right here. And to, to read through this from page one all the way through, three or four times a year, it's like, oh my goodness. But I was just thinking about that, you know, the Benny Hinn, the John Maxwell, the, you know, the TD, the all speaking to me in what I've been studying and working on. It's like, what Maxwell says, John says, it's like, take a look at the tree that's standing in your backyard and you'd like that tree to be removed. He says, go grab your axe. He says, go to that tree every morning and take five, five whacks at that tree, five strokes. Five good, solid strokes at the tree. Go put your axe back in the shed, back in the house. Go back to doing whatever you need to do. But if every morning you will go give that five good whacks, he says, man, sooner or later, that tree will fall. And it's like, wow, we're talking about perseverance, consistency and perseverance. Like the principle of five. <laughs> it's like if every day you'll grab that axe and you'll give it five good whacks, you'll see that tree fall. It's like, you know, I believe, I'm old enough to have quite a bit of experience the things that I've watched, seen, or lived myself, but breakthrough requires push through that in order for us to experience the breakthrough we want in our lives we have got to push through and sometimes it's grab that axe five good strokes put it away and hit it again tomorrow and then hit it again tomorrow and hit it again tomorrow let's pray father I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love, how you care for each and every one of us. I thank you for your guidance and direction in our lives. We say, Holy Spirit, <laughs> come, fill, lead, guide, and comfort us. Bless us. Give us the power that we need to do what you've called us to. And that we would have the inner strength rooted and grounded in love, in you, to be able to do and accomplish what you've called us to do. We know you're here, we know you're available, and you're ready to, to co-labor with us to fulfill your will. We love you, we praise you, we welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen.